welcome to episode 36 of Craft Good Read Repeat, the conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, March 19th, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going today, Courtney? My gosh, we need to tell everybody this crazy. Well, I'm sure most of them are experiencing it for themselves, so... Hopefully you can't tell from the audio quality, but I imagine you'll be able to. We are doing our podcasting in place since we are both under a shelter in place order. Many of you are, I'm sure. Um, So we are experimenting with recording via Skype. So we'll see how this all goes. Kind of interesting. That's one word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's only been like a little over a week. Eight days, nine days since we recorded, and yeah, wow. I figure if Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon can do their shows on an iPhone from their backyards, that we can get away with this for the time being. Yeah. I felt that podcasting was kind of essential to my mental health, even if it's maybe not technically an essential service. So hopefully you guys can spend the next hour or so listening to us and take your mind off of, you know, all the things. One thing, though, about being at home, lots of knitting and crafting and painting and cooking and and reading. Yes, my skill set is particularly suited to pandemic lifestyle. (laughs) Mine as well. Also, you guys get a lot more um, Instagram posts from us. (laughs) I've been noticing. I think there's a lot more Instagram posts in general in the world. This is true. Should we start with On the Needles? Yes, please. Tell me what you're doing. <laughs> I'm knitting. I did want to say before we really get into it that, and I'm sure my knitting friends will know that a lot of the spring festivals have been canceled. I did get to make it to Stitches West, but a lot of the other ones have been canceled. And I know the, I think the Dallas Fiber Festival and there's one in Seattle and Anyway, lots of them have been canceled, which is a huge problem for the vendors that were going to be there. So if you're a knitter, check online, maybe support some of your local vendors. A lot of them are doing, designers are doing free patterns or fundraising yarn sales, doing free shipping. So there's a lot of, a lot of ways you can help out if maybe you weren't able to go to a festival, but you had the money budgeted and are able to spend it virtually, but help someone out in our community which I have to say I have been doing, even though I just went to Stitches because there's some really pretty stuff out there at the moment. But anyway, I finished, finished, finished my Brickyard sweater that I was talking about last time. Uh, I tried it on after Courtney and I finished recording and we did some consulting on what needed to be done. She basically thought, as I did, that it was just too much fabric for me. So I ripped most of the body out because it was an um, A-line sweater pattern is by Elizabeth Doherty. So it was an A-line sweater. So it just straight for a little bit, but then just kind of kept increasing out. So I ripped back to the first increase and instead did a decrease. And I think I did another decrease a little bit farther down. And then I did two increases. So more of a traditional sweater shape. Kept the split hem, which I thought was a nice detail. And yeah, then I tried it on. And I think it looks super cute. I posted a picture. I got many nice compliments. So thank you. And it was very comfy and cozy. It's been a little chilly here. We've had rain off and on. It's sunny today, but 
still not terribly warm. Have you blocked it yet? I did. I blocked it before I wore it. So it took a little bit longer to dry than I was hoping because I wanted to wear it right away. But I did get to wear it pretty pretty quickly. So that was that was nice. The yarn is Studio DK from Neighborhood Fiber Company. And so nice and squishy. It feels really, really good when I'm wearing it. Colorway on that was Sanctuary City, which was a special colorway they did for Vogue Knitting Live in San Francisco. September 2018. So I've had that yarn for a little bit. So it was nice to, to move that out of my stash and into my actual wardrobe. I have also been working on my, I don't know, I think this is my third pair of vanillas in New Black. This is also, well, this is Stitches yarn from White Birch Fiber Arts. She does mostly striping yarns, really fun colorways. And I had just finished knitting a pair a few weeks ago. And it was such a, a lovely, fast experience using this pattern that I restocked with her yarn at Stitches West and cast on a new pair in this super fun rainbow. I'm going to show Courtney. Now I wish we had video so that everyone could see that. I finished one of the socks. So it's a rainbow of cranberry, dark magenta, a green, a yellow, and an orange. And then in between each of those colors is a stripe of what I keep thinking is a brown, but has all these hints of purple. So it's a really cool color. Like way. And the only hmm? wine. Yeah, but re- yeah, really dark. Fun um, colorway. It is. And I really like the rainbowness of it. It's kind of cheery. But then the only thing, and I'm probably one of the few people that will have this issue that I don't like about it is the colorway name. And it's a fine name. It's Bring on the Pumpkin Spice. And it's definitely an autumnal kind of rainbow. But I don't like pumpkin spice. I'm like one of the few people that it's pumpkin spice latte season, and I really don't care. I'm a gingerbread latte girl myself. So I agree. I don't like pumpkin spice either. So usually I will be more likely to buy a yarn because of the colorway name. So this one I had to overcome my, my dislike of pumpkin spice. But it's a very lovely rainbow. I finished the first sock. Need to cast on the second sock and get working on those. I think I'm going to get a lot of socks done as the weeks go by. Hey, what's your coffee mug? It actually has water in it. And when did I get these? I think I got these. It's like an engagement present or something. It's a little Parisian scene. It was a whole whole set of dishes. So pretending I'm in a Parisian cafe as we record. I need like six more coffee mugs or cups for my cup grid. Oh, I sent you a few of my teacups. Yes, I I used one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can send you a picture of this one too if you want. Perhaps. It's pretty detailed. So I also started on my sweater using my slubby yarn, which I got at Stitches West. And that's the thin fingering weight yarn um, that has bumps in it of fiber or slubs. Um, So it gives it a lot of texture. And I am holding that with a another fingering weight yarn that's just basic yarn. And both these yarns are from Hello Stella Fibers. The basic Stella is from is called uh, Streetcar Named Desire, and that's in a cream with big swaths of magenta and that dark teal. And the slubby one, which is called Savvy Stella, is in oil slick, and that's a really, really dark blackish blue-green. Holding them together, it is making this really kind of cool marled effect. So you can definitely see both the 
dark colors and the, the white and the pink popping through. So it's pretty fun. It was not what I was imagining, but I think I like it. So the sweater I'm making is The Weekender by Andrea Mowry. I'm going to knit it so that the knit side, because there's so much texture in the sweater, it doesn't need any embellishments. So it'll just be plain knit, except for the ribbing at the hems. And then I think there's some shoulder details as well, because really it's about the yarn and, and showing off the, the texture in the yarn. So I just started that. You knit it from the bottom up. So I knit the two hems and then I joined them last night while I was on a Zoom call with my friends. We were having a ladies night virtually, which was super fun. I highly recommend it. And I managed to put a Mobius twist in it. So I had to tink back. Unintentionally? Well, correct. Yes. No, it is not a Mobius sweater. The front hem is about an inch and a half. And the back hem is two and a quarter. So they're pretty big pieces of fabric. And trying to keep them straight while connecting them. I think I made the first round correct. And then I kind of flipped it. And so then I knitted, knitted it into a a twisted loop instead of a straight loop. Luckily, I figured it out pretty quickly. So I only had to, I mean, it's, you know, 200 stitches that I had to knit back, but it worked out. It wasn't too awful. And I think I'm on on track now to just knit straight for 15 inches. So, but it's fun seeing how it's all turning out and the yarns working together. And that's all my knitting. I mean, yeah, lots of sweaters and stockinette. So what is on the easel? Honestly, it's super hard to paint right now. I have two kids who are home distance learning, and that is tricky. But we are um, trying to incorporate as much as we can of their school day and doing the best that we can. One of the kids has art projects that he has to do that I'm excited to do with him. That will be fun, but we haven't gotten there yet. I moved the easel out of the art room it down in the living room. One of my ideas for that sketchbook project was to paint corners of the house. And now it seems like a perfectly ideal time to paint corners of the house, given that I am stuck here. So I moved to the easel and I started a sketch last night that was kind of a just trial sketch. And then I started painting without a sketch, and that came out much better. So I'm just kind of freehanding painting different corners, like as the light moves around the house and pieces of furniture and book stacks and that kind of thing. I have stepped out of the Latitude Project right now just because, because it's so difficult to paint and write in the middle of all of this. Like, I just, I can't concentrate fully. So I'm trying to find my my way. I am almost done with the cup grid. I'll give you a sneak peek since we're on video. Ooh. So I have six left. I have been moving from left to right for the most part. And keeping with, like, a similar color palette seems to help. And I did a call for send me your coffee cup and I got several great pictures of people's coffee cups yours included and that was so fun so half of them are podcast or internet or Instagram people those cups which was a fun way to to bring it together but yeah the easel's tricky right now at best 
So I'm hoping that painting around the house will be a comfort um, over the next few weeks. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I have been in the kitchen a lot, though. How about you? Yes, so much on the table. Um, Lots of baking. Now that I'm not driving children around, I have all this free time. (laughs) We were joking last night with my people about how we were all just being home, snacking a lot, eating more. And it was going to be like the first year of college where we all gained the freshman 15. And someone pointed out that, no, it's going to be the (laughs) COVID-19. That sounds more accurate. Yes, exactly. So I made shamrock cookies for St. Patrick's Day, which is super fun. My mom always made those growing up. So I've really enjoyed having those on our table. And that is an old recipe. It's from the Betty Crocker's cookie book, which, wow, it uses shortening. The original recipe uses shortenings. And I have, I think they've released various versions of it. I have the, I guess the night they re-released a few years ago, the 1970s cover and print, I guess, because all of us that grew up with our moms cooking out of that now wanted a copy. So that one's really amusing. And there's some good recipes in there as well. I made soda bread as well, gluten-free. And the cookies were gluten-free too. Made soda bread. I made banana butterscotch cream pie for pie day. What else? I made a banana cake in a bunt pan and put cinnamon sugar in the pan first. So it came out with a little bit of crunchy topping, which was nice. And I've been making lunches for the most part to make sure people are not eating junk all the time. I made I pancakes like it, this morning. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I feel like a, a complete underachiever. Well, I'm I'm nowhere near this capacity. I'm just vibing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm fine. We're fine. But still. Yes. I don't know. I guess I'm just stress baking is what I'm doing. Because I don't normally do it. I did make some actual meals. Last night I made green okonomiyaki, which is Japanese style pancake. And I had made them before with shrimp. And that recipe is from, I think, the dinner plan by Kathy Brennan and Jane Campion. But this one I found on the New York Times from their newsletter. Um, So it's kind of like a cross between a fritter and a crepe, I guess. But you make it, you know, like frying pan sized. So it's the kind of pancake batter, but you put in whatever, either shrimp or this one called for vegetables. So it had cabbage and grated zucchini and some chopped spinach. Mix it all in and then you cook it in the pan. I doubled the recipe which made one like eight inch pancake for each of us. And it was pretty delicious. Probably could have doubled it again, or at least maybe done two and a half times the recipe would have been good. We could have used a little more, but you know, we'd been eating all day long. So it was okay (laughs) to not eat quite as much one day. Um, And I also did a vegetarian quiche Lorraine, which one of the big things is there is, you know, the bacon and that's not exactly an option. So the one for this was first of all, use a hash brown crust. So that gives you that nice crust without the gluten. And then using the like chorizo crumbles to give it that meaty, smoky flavor. And then onions and cheese and whatnot, uh, as in a regular quiche Lorraine. So that was also pretty delicious. And I think the only problem I'm having is that now that I don't need quick recipes, because I'm home all day (laughs) and um, home all night, I keep forgetting to actually start making dinner. So I'm used to something taking 20 minutes, half an hour, and now I'm picking these recipes because I do tend to plan my menus in advance. 
picking recipes that take a little longer because I have the time, but then I forget and it's six o'clock and I'm like, oh, I guess I should start cooking. So we're still eating late. So I need to kind of work on that. But other than that, it's been been interesting. And then you kind of never know what's going to be at the grocery store. Yes. Had that experience too. Oh, I did make one thing that was really fast and quick, which was a spiced shrimp soup from Jamie Oliver's Five Ingredients. And it was rice and shrimp and some curry paste and water and coconut milk. So it was basically like a shrimp curry, but just a little more soupy. And that was really good as well. And everybody liked that, even my kid who is not super into spices. I doubled it, but made each in one pan so I could have one with shrimp and one without. And that was really, really tasty and super easy. How about you? Uh, Definitely some stress baking over here, some of which has been accomplished by my younger child. He had a science assignment last week that was make a kitchen experiment. And so he took the chocolate chip cookie recipe that we always do and boldly shaved more chocolate into it just with like a bar of chocolate and a carrot peeler and, you know, shaved chocolate into half the dough. Side how they were different and how they tasted different. Wild, brave experience on behalf of that kid. He liked the one with more chocolate better. Shocking. Yeah. It did change the overall shape and consistency of the cookie, which makes sense, but I don't quite know science behind it. I have seen two different chocolate chip cookie things that I thought were really interesting, and I don't think I sent either of them to you, but I definitely thought of you. One was using different kinds of chocolate, like mixing chocolate, not just using one kind in your cookie. And another one was doing the pan slapping thing that you do, but yeah. while they're but while they're cooking. Yeah, so I you do let that them too. cook for a while. Oh, you do that too? Okay. So and she said it I guess it made them kind of spread out more and fall down and get fudgy. different textures. But more fudgy. Interesting. Speaking of cookies, Monica. What? I'm I made blueberry cream cookies from the Momo Fuku milk bar, the Christina Tosi cookbook. That's how I originally won your heart. Really? Do you you remember? I remember you making them. I didn't realize that was how you won me over. (laughs) We were sitting in the back corner of a co-op meeting like over 10 years ago, and I had a little secret stash, and you you were knitting, and I had the cookies, and we sat in the back corner and ate cookies by ourselves in a crowded room. (laughs) I remember it. I I don't remember that. It sounds fantastic, though. (laughs) They're the blueberry cream cookies. They have that milk crumb in them, mixed into them. I tried one when my sister and I were in New York this past December, and I wasn't wowed. I like my own home fresh version better. So I made a fresh batch. I'm the only one who likes them, which is super dangerous. So I have (laughs) half of them still frozen in the freezer. Oh, that's excellent, though. That's the only way to keep them safe. Yeah. (laughs) Then I made a Dijon chicken from Smitten Kitchen because all of these people need to eat. So that was an easy one pan in the skillet 
and it was I did it with chicken thighs because that's all that was available at the grocery store. Although my people really love the chicken thighs, I don't, but they do. Oh yeah, I like the thighs. I think they cook I think, better. I think that recipe. Yeah, they were flavorful. I'll say that much. This recipe is like ten years old. I think it was it was in the archives of her website over at Smitten Kitchen. Then I was not planning to do anything for St. Patrick's Day because it's it's been really crazy here with my husband's company and he's dealing with all kinds of stuff and I feel like St. Patrick's Day should be a simple celebration, but it is not. And my brother-in-law kindly delivered a corned beef. Ah, a raw corned beef. So I had to wrestle that thing into two different pots because it was huge. I used my father-in-law's very explicit instructions on how to prepare it, which coincidentally is the same instructions on the package of the corn. <laughs> so my father-in-law is busted. Um, he likes us to change the water three times you know, while the corned beef is cooking so that it gets fresh water and new seasonings. And that way it's not greasy at all, you know, when you're done with it. But it is labor intensive. And I think it probably took me all day yesterday to juggle these pots back and forth. Then I did some really simple roasted little tiny um, potatoes. I roasted them and I did a braised red cabbage with a little mustard seed. I do love braised cabbage. That's the only thing I like about St. Patrick's Day. Outside it of is so delicious. Bread. I did yeah. green cabbage, but with balsamic, using a recipe from How to Cook Everything. Because oh, usually good. I put all the vegetables corned beef, but I didn't have corned beef because apparently the people of my neighborhood were panic buying corned beef and they were out, <laughs> which I don't know, whatever. But yeah, so I kind of had to cook all the, the things separately. So I pulled out Mark Bittman and he had answers for everything. That cookbook is great. Then I did, and I also made the Irish soda bread. And I need to give myself a little bit of credit since I had all of this time juggling pans. I looked at several different Irish soda bread recipes. I don't normally do that. I normally just pick one and go with it. And compared just visually the process for each one. I picked the one I liked best, but then I took a raisin technique from another one. The The bread Bible said to soak your raisins in Irish whiskey, which I thought was really appropriate. That is <laughs> so, a good call. So I soaked, and then I had to pick which whiskey, and I didn't know because <laughs> I don't like whiskey. And I had them all lined up, and my husband, you know, I picked three that were open, and my husband sent me back into the cabinet, this is all remotely, um, and said, no, find the other Irish Middleton one or whatever. I just picked one in the end and soaked the raisins in it. And I think it you could t kind of taste it a little bit, but I, I really like that because it. I think you should soak the raisins regardless, even if it's just hot water yes. because then they're, they're not as likely to burn and they're more plump, and it's a win-win. But if you can do it in whiskey, thumbs that, up. I like that, although I do not use raisins in my soda bread. 
What do you use? Nothing, just soda bread. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that was allowed. It is allowed. Raisins are but optional. That, well, I don't love raisins. I would have much preferred golden raisins or currants. But I think just make the bread, have a side of raisins and a side of whiskey. And really <laughs> the best of all worlds. Good plan. The, the alternate recipe wanted me to use like a teaspoon of the whiskey after the raisins had been removed. And whisk it into the butter to make a whiskey butter. Oh. Well. That's taking it, you know. That's going you're not to wasting anything. Yeah. Right. That's really good. So you use recipes from the Bread Bible and... I forget where the other one is from, but I'll have a link. Because um, I use I like... the recipe from The Best Recipe by Cooks Illustrated. And theirs does not have raisins. Well, I had the raisins in the house. I looked for golden raisins at the market, and they're seasonal around here anyway, let alone during this craziness. So I just used what I had. And I think my husband prefers it with raisins, and he's the one who cares. I'm okay with it either way. So that was the, that's the cooking here. Seems pretty good. All right. On the nightstand, now is the time, if you haven't already, to figure out your library's online services. Uh, our libraries are totally shut down, so thank goodness for ebooks. Although most of the books in my hold queue are hardcover books, so that's a little frustrating. Although apparently they'll our be, library, they'll be, they'll be there. Yeah, I read that email. So our <laughs> library will hold them until June. Do not return your books. So luckily, I only have one book checked out right now, but I do have my ebooks, and I have one hardcover book and two ebooks checked out because I had finished all of my library books and returned them and I was trying to read my actual books that I own to get through some of those and then I was going to slowly start pulling some of the things on off hold like I have the new Hillary Mantel book that I was waiting for them to process and, and get to me but I'm gonna have to wait for a long time so one of them came through which picked up the day before they shut the library so thank goodness so that's the one I'm gonna be talking about because that was a great book but they have movies and stuff that you can get online. They have audiobooks, so many things. So definitely magazines. Check out what your library has to offer. You've got time to figure it all out now. So the first thing I finished was Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, which was a book that I listened to. This is part of my young adult books that I went through. So a little bit of angst, not too much. This book is about Stevie, who is super smart and gets accepted at a private boarding school for super smart kids in Vermont. And this is the second book I've read in the past few months that has super rich people hanging out in Vermont. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but apparently it's a thing. So the school she's at was founded in the 30s by a super rich guy who wanted to found a school where kids could explore their passions, mix of rich kids and, you know, deserving kids but his in 1936 his wife and daughter were kidnapped Um, they found the wife's body they never found the girl a student also was murdered and then like the next year the millionaire himself also died in a yacht explosion mystery had never been solved never figured out who did it school stayed up and so our girl stevie is now attending the school she loves all things crime and detection And her goal is to 
figure out what happened, solve the mystery. While she is there, one of her fellow students dies. It looks like an accident, but is it? So I enjoyed it. I knew going in it was part of a series. I thought it was going to be more of a series and not a trilogy because it got to the end and the mystery kept going, which was kind of annoying. I would like, I'm happy to have characters continue. Obviously I'm, you know, fan of the Tana French and the Robert Galbraith series, which have continuity between the characters, but the mystery actually just lasts for one book. So that was a little annoying, but otherwise the book was really, it was funny. Stevie is very sarcastic. It's not too angsty. Um, There's a little bit, she's not terribly, socially advanced so she's worried about friends and boyfriends and you know so that that part i'm i'm beyond that more or less so <laughs> reading about you just want to kind of reach in and be like it's okay you can talk to people it's fine you're gonna be okay better than that it was really it was amusing and i am um, have just started listening to the second book because i do want to find out what happens hopefully it will end at some point and we will get some answers and then i also read the tyrant's tomb by rick reardon which is book four of five in his The Trials of Apollo series. It exists in Percy Jackson land, but the god Apollo has been cursed to Earth by Zeus. I think it was Zeus. To live as a 16-year-old boy, Lester Papadopoulos, and learn some lessons on Earth. Uh, The first book of the series starts off, I think he's dealing with the Percy, he's hanging out with the Percy Jackson people. This book, he has moved to the Bay Area, and the action all takes place here. The children of the Roman gods live near the Caldecott Tunnel. So local people will know where that is. So all the action takes place here, which is kind of fun. Again, Lester is very snarky. There's a lot of humor. These books don't have too much angst because they're all too busy fighting evil gods and saving the world. So there's not much time for, for too much angst. Both of these books I really liked. They had characters that were homosexual, and it's just, it's not a plot point. It's just how they are. It has nothing to do with the story, really. So I thought that was really cool, because I'm pretty sure that my books when I was a teenager didn't have that. So it's nice to see a little extra representation in these books. So the book that I just finished is called The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich, and it was fantastic. Oh, great. Yes. I really Um, want to read this one. Oh, have you read it or you just... No, no, it's on my list. Okay, yeah. Loved it. So it takes place in 1953 on the Turtle Mountain Chippewa Reservation, for the most part. The title character, The Night Watchman, is based on the author's grandfather. Fairly directly, she had access to his, or she, I guess she inherited a bunch of his papers and writings, and then she did a ton of research and pulled up a lot of other documents. Um, so she had all this information on what he was going through, what life on the reservation was like at that time, and she incorporated all of that. And so the book bounces back and forth between him and several other Native Americans that he interacts with and you get all of their viewpoints. There's a ghost that shows up that you get his viewpoint. So the night watchman, he works, he's the night watchman at a local factory, but he is also a tribal leader and they get notice that the government, the federal government is trying to pass a bill to emancipate the Indians by which they will actually lose all their land, be given a little bit of money and be expected to 
meld into society, despite the fact that they are all still desperately poor. And the treaty that was, that was signed was supposed to last in perpetuity. And part of the things that was really interesting, because the book is taking place in 1953, the signing of the treaty is still within living memory for this tribe. Thomas's grandfather was one of the signers. His dad grew up following the buffalo in North Dakota. That's where Turtle Mountain is. So it's not ancient past. They're like, we just signed this treaty that's supposed to last forever. And now you're going to take it away from us. So he's uh, working with the tribe to try to get that law not to be passed. So that's going on. There's also just daily life things. Um, The other kind of main character is Patrice and her sister moved to the big city to be with her boyfriend. And then she has since disappeared. So she's trying to find her. There's a guy from Ohio who has moved there um, on kind of a Teach for America plan. And he's teaching and teaching the boys boxing and trying to integrate, but doesn't really get any of <laughs> any of their way of life. So there's just a lot of things going on. It's really well written. It's very clean, but visually, you really get a sense of, of the place and what was going on and, and uh, what they're all feeling. So I really... Really like that book. It's a pretty good book. It was, I think, 430-some pages. It was beautiful. So kind of a switch from the, the two previous things I had been reading and listening to. But I really, really enjoyed it. And that's what I have been reading. How about you? On the nightstand here, this has been my chief comfort, I think, through this thing. I read, I guess it would be considered like a, a, a modern mystery or like, psychological thriller called A Nearly Normal Family by M.T. Edwardson. This takes place in Sweden. There's a pastor and his wife is an attorney and their 18-year-old daughter is accused. And so their professions make an impact on how you are processing the story. Because she's an attorney and he's a pastor. And section is told from one of their three perspectives. So you get the dad and then the mother and then the daughter. And you just don't know until the end what the truth is. And the structure of it was really telling to just be with that one character and think that you know what's going on and then have that shift and learn the whole other side of it. I mean, it's obvious that there's more than one side to every story, but... Oh, so it's not going back and forth, back and forth. It's like one character. Uh Uh-huh. And then one character. Oh, cool. So like part one, part two, part three. And you're definitely going over some of the same events, but from that new character's perspective each time. So it's the structure really lends itself to the suspense of the story. An Instance of the Finger Post by Ian Pierce that came out a million years ago is that same thing, and it's a really cool way of doing it. It totally changes your your viewpoint. Yeah, I think it was it was a refreshing way to access a mystery and like a little bit more forensic in a way yeah. to spend time with each of those characters. But you don't really know everyone's full motivation until the end. Really good modern-day Sweden, and it was also the story of a family. You know, even though they're going through this really traumatic time, it was it was a really good page-turner. Then I read 
a guide to the birds of East Africa, which I should have said at the beginning. And I heard the library was closing. It was like four o'clock and the library was closing for three weeks at six o'clock. And so I dropped everything and went to the library and I have like 27 library books. <laughs> so I have a huge stack besides all of the other books that are around here. I feel well equipped for the life right now. Yep. Anyway, the guide to the birds of East Africa, which I completely chose based on cover because it's got a whole Cute. bunch of birds on it and they're all watercolor. And then the, t the, each chapter has one bird line drawing in pencil oh, and, and it, and it talks about like that bird might have like a little cameo in the really brief chapter. So I picked it up for the birds. I love that it takes place in Kenya, which is a country that I definitely want to cover when I'm have the headspace again for Lemon Latitude. And the story is about gentlemen are trying to court this woman. She does a bird tour like every Tuesday in their town. One is too shy to ask her out and the other one is very bold. And so they decide when they learn of each other's interest in this woman, they decide that whoever has the highest bird count over the course of a week gets the opportunity to ask her out first. And it's for a ball or something like that. And these are people in their 60s. You know, they're, they've all either lost a spouse or I think they're all three of them are widowed or maybe the other guy has been divorced several times. He's kind of a, I don't know what the right word would be for the, the guy who's very sort of aggressive. He's a little bit of a, thinks highly of himself. So they, the two gentlemen embark on this bird count in their area. And there's so much biodiversity in Kenya. They're, ta they're talking about the other things that they see as well. And so it's their exploits trying to come up with a bird count. And, and it's a really sweet story. In the end, they're for the better for it. And it's kind of a happy ending. That was a really simple little read. And then I have like a half hour left. And it's a real book. It's not time, but... You know, I've got like 20, well, maybe 45 pages left in The Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Have you heard of this one? It sounds familiar, but it does not look familiar. This is a, it's a police mystery on one hand, but it's also a story of two sisters are each grappling in different ways with the opioid crisis. And, and how it's affected their family and their town. And the, the first page of the book is just a list of names, like all of these names. And it's, and it's not just names, but it's like Joey's sister, Joey's sister's cousin, you know, like that you can tell how it's listed, that they're all associated in some way. And it mm -hmm. turns out that that's the list of people who died as of, opioid overdose in this particular town. So once you see that list and it includes their parents, it's so, it's such a moving way to enter into the book. 
And then the mystery is happening, and that has to do with the opioid epidemic as well. But it's it's also just how they're each grappling with addiction and how it affects everything in a family and in a relationship and how the children are affected by it and how it affects the police and how, you know, she's training a, um, a rookie to go onto a scene where she knows somebody has OD'd. It's a really intimate portrait of this world that I didn't think I would be so drawn into, but I can't put it down. It's right here next to me. And when we say adios, I will pick it up and keep going. <laughs> like it's, it's so good. I'll have a fuller, well, I'll have a one minute statement to say about it the next time that we meet just to verify how good it is or the, that the ending of it is satisfying. But put it on your to read list because it's a page turner. And I think it's oh. really relevant. I think it's relevant, even though we're dealing with this unbelievable pandemic right now. It's not like the opioid crisis is going away. So that's the, isn't that just a wonderful way to uh, close out my book list? <laughs> it was. Oh, I did forget to tell you. I started Tana French number three, and it is focusing on the cranky undercover boss from <laughs> book two. And I was so excited when I, because I, I had just requested it on an ebook from the library just because I wanted to keep reading through the series and I didn't know anything about it except that it was the next one. So I opened it up to see who it was and it was Frank Mackey. I was like, yes, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I could really use the next Galbraith, not the Cuckoo's Calling, but the... Yeah, it's coming this year. No, but I need it now. <laughs> uh, that I can't help you with. <laughs> uh, I can't help you with. You could reread them all. Yes. At least are... we have... We know that she's working on it and that's coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. We have started a movie marathon for the The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Oh, you're starting with The Hobbit? Started with The Hobbit. We did all three movies and now we're moving on. Tonight we start the first of the Lord of the Rings. Oh. Had you guys seen them before? Absolutely. We know them really well, but it's, it's a great distraction to the news. Instead of watching the news in the it evening. Lord of the Rings is our Christmas binging movie series. So we've not been watching that because it's the wrong time of year. Uh, we went with James Bond instead. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Which was a very interesting choice. The boys, they liked it. They were also like, what is this? Don't understand. Well, they, we were trying to decide. There are some plot holes. Yes. Yes. Either watch the Avengers series, which is like seventeen movies. Oh yeah, or including the lesser, the lesser Avenger movies, which yes. the kids say I need to understand the final movie. I need to watch them all. Yeah, but, there are definitely every once in a while we have to. Boy two is the only one who has seen all of them, I think. And every once in a while we have to turn in and say, "Uh, what is this?" He's like, "Oh, that's when this happened." And- <laughs> Oh, and I think I'm probably second most aware because I've gone back and and watched uh, some of the lesser ones. But yeah, you got to watch all the Ant-Man and that'll keep you guys yeah. busy for a while. We also thought that this would be a good time for us to watch Lost, that TV show mm-hmm. Lost. We yeah, never, never watched that. Yeah. We never watched that one. And at one point we caught part of one and we looked at each other and said, 
I'm lost. I have no idea what's <laughs> going on here. Let's just watch this sometime when we're laid up or sick or something. So that's a possibility, too. Oh, cool. But anyway. Right. Yeah, I think that's it for now. Back to your book. And Thank you. <laughs> thanks for bearing with us. Hopefully this audio recording isn't too, too painful to listen to and took your mind off things for a little bit. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day, especially now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. I'm recording you now. Does it say on there that you're recording? No. Okay. All right. That's weird. It's a little laggy. If we try and talk over each other, I'm not sure that we'll hear it. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. You're going to do a disclaimer in the beginning, right? That says... <laughs> okay. This is weird. We don't usually, like, look at each other when we're recording. I know. Maybe I should put you over to the side. Please, Please do. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh. No, I am recording. Okay. So I can just start talking. Alright. So weird. Okay. can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.